It's the odd, odd, odd to Newfoundland. Ghostly greetings from your host, Jonathan. 31 days of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> it's alive! Alive! The mad scientist has been something I love to dress up as a Halloween, but you know, there's actually your crazier villains out there in real life. Yeah, you knew I was going to ruin this one for you too, but there really have been real mad scientists over the years. Who's this mad scientist? Someone who used their powers for just weirdness, man. How about Vladimir Demekov? The mad scientist who created a two-headed dog, a famous Soviet scientist. He was known for being a pioneer in organ transplantation. He saw much success in transplanting a number of vital organs between dogs. But then in the 50s, he decided to take things one step further by creating a two-headed dog. He and his assistants attempted to operate at least 24 times. The 24th attempt was the most widely publicized and it was even featured in Life magazine. Unsurprisingly, the ghastly creation was horrific to behold. As you can imagine, fusing the head and neck of a small dog named Shkaka onto the neck of a large stray German shepherd named Brody Gaga. Good God, the mad scientist created a starkly unnatural symbiote that is disturbing at any length and way to look at. <sighs> I'm just thinking about my poor puppy. I don't want to see his head on another head's dog. Although, maybe if my dog and another dog had their heads together, they'd have more of a clue. <laughs> anyway, yeah, mine's a pug, just to let you know. <laughs> How about Shiro Ishii, the barbaric doctor behind Unit 731 in World War II Japan? Often compared to the infamous Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele, Shiro Ishii oversaw countless horrific human experiments in World War II Japan. Ishii has been a member of the Imperial Army's Japan Army Medical Corps, and when he first inspired and pursued the appalling methods of germ warfare, which the Geneva Protocol had banned in 25, well, the rest is history. As an esteemed general and scientist with all the right credentials, Ishii eventually took over Unit 731, the government's disturbing biological and chemical warfare unit. Believed to have been set up around 1935, the Japanese puppet state of Manatuku, Unit 731 became the testing grounds for some of the most inhumane experiences in modern history. Ishii insisted that the only way they'd make scientific pro progress was by using actual civilians as test subjects. That's right. No animals. He tested on humans, a real mad scientist, from frostbite experiments to high-pressure chamber tests to intentional infection of syphilis and vivisections of consciousness subjects. Ishii's experiments were all heralded as necessary acts to bolster the army and pinpoint any potential weaknesses in his enemies. Good God. Meanwhile, the Maruta division of the same thing infected thousands of subjects with various diseases and removed the victim's organs just to study the effects of each illness without the hassle of decomposition. Arms were amputated and reattached to opposite sides. Gangrene was intentionally induced in healthy body parts and bare hands were subjected to frostbite. Perhaps most horrific was Ishii's inhumane reasoning behind these tests. As an army doctor, one of his main goals was the development of battlefield treatment techniques that he could use on Japanese troops after learning just how much the human body can handle before it collapsed. Let that sink in. Like, obviously this guy's sick in the head. And don't worry, there's more! <laughs> how about Robert Liston, the reckless surgeon who killed his patient and two bystanders? As surgeons go, Robert Liston was the fastest of his time. It was an imperative part of the process during the early 19th century as anesthesia had yet to be developed. <laughs> Unfortunately, being first 
and fast, inherently turned precision into afterthought with grisly consequences. Oh boy, in terms of mad scientists, Liston was no barbarian with maniacal needs for experimentation. Ultimately, the only harrowing thing about him was how gleeful he appeared while cutting off people's limbs. He once removed a leg in a mere 28 seconds and coined the prideful catchphrase, Time me, gentlemen, while demonstrating amputations to his peers. To <laughs> so basically, this guy, no anesthesia, chop off your leg and say, this is better because it's faster. <laughs> progress, ladies and gentlemen. This is progress at work. I mean, you just lost your hand, but hell, we can do it fast now. Or how about Jack Parsons, the mad scientist, the deviant occultist who helped create rocket science? Oh, yeah. It's about to get dark for all my dorks out there because it's not rocket appliances, so to speak. The literary and bizarre descriptions of Jack Parsons never quite seemed to end. Though he was known as the occultist and sex fanatic, the California-born eccentric also oversaw the founding of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I mean, this guy sounds great, right? Parsons was an unusual mad scientist as his expertise was only matched by his obsession with the occult and dark magic. He pioneered rocketry at a time when sending a man to space seemed like a pipe dream and began the effort with a group of friends and Californians Institute of Technology who called themselves the Suicide Squad. Sound familiar? <laughs> he joined the group after befriending a graduate named Frank Molina. Through Parsons never pursued any higher education himself, his new friends helped him shoot off primitive rockets in the 30s, hopeful to one day, well, help the program. So, what makes him so controversial? Perhaps most controversially, Parsons was a member of the Ordo Templi Orientis, which was led by Aleister Crowley. Known as the wickedest man in the world, Crowley's primary instruction was the hedonistic do what thou wilt. With primary involved seeking out pleasure at all costs, the devout apprentice of Crowley's, Parsons was soon made the leader of the Odo's West Coast chapter, often corresponding directly with Crowley himself. Meanwhile, Parsons used his hard-earned income from his rocky work to purchase a mansion in Los Angeles that mostly served as a hotbed for orgies, where Parsons once slept with his wife's 17-year-old sister. Because, you know, that's not friggin' weird at all. Due to Parsons' controversial actions outside the work, he was eventually cast out of the industry. Can't imagine why... Can't imagine why. Oh, boy. How about the mad scientist who helped inspire Frankenstein, Giovanni Aldini? He was considered fairly ingenious for the early 1800s. Known for experimenting on the dead, he found that a subject's face contorted after the swab the subject's ear with salt water. Low battery. Please charge. Attached wiring to each ear and then reconnected that wiring to a battery. It was... <laughs> My speaker just went off and said low battery as I'm talking about this guy. And <laughs> he literally... Ha, ha, ha. I'm gonna think I'm gonna leave that blooper in. <laughs> Disconnected. Oh my god. Hearing mode. No. Okay. Alistair Crowley. He must have heard me Powered talking. Off. Oh god. <laughs> okay, so that's my speaker I'm using for this uh recording session. And as soon as I'm talking about um Attached a metal wire into each ear and then reconnected the wiring to a battery. My speaker goes off and says, battery low, and then dies. Creepy? I think so. Anyway, where was I to? Oh, yeah. Galvini had noted that electrical currents placed on dead frogs made them move and thought that the same method might work to raise humans from the dead. Naturally, his nephew never forgot this and then tried to do just that as an adult. Oh, boy. Aldini had already succeeded in getting dead animals to move around, roll their eyeballs, and whatnot. He was now determined to try as much on a human being as possible by borrowing a fresh body from the local executioner. But he soon realized an issue. Italy was executing prisoners by beheading them, which meant that the bodies were drained of blood and thus emptied of any pathways for electricity to flow. 
Aldini thus took to England, where prisoners were sent to the gallows and ordered one newly hanged criminal to be delivered. <laughs> Imagine. I'll take a dead guy hung from a tree, please. How much? 20 bucks? Good. How long? 45 minutes or it's free? Excellent. What a pizza. Attaching his probes to the corpse of a man named George Foster, Aldini became mad scientist incarnate. When he got Foster to open his eyes, left white, shaking his jaw, and seemingly take a breath. The doctor considered his experiment a failure because Foster didn't rise from the dead, but in 19th century Italy, this was utterly miraculous feat for Aldini's peers. He's also absolutely insane. Let the dead lie, folks. Oh, God. Another one? The mad scientist who followed in Aldini's footsteps was named Andrew Ure. And uh, Uri was a popular electrical on lecturer on chemistry and mechanics and drew large crowds of enthusiastic spectators. Can't imagine why. He published a dictionary of chemistry, studied geology, became the director of the Gerenthal Observatory, and helped found the Pharmaceutical Society. But his most infamous field of study was publicized in 1818, around the same time that Frankenstein was first published. Actually, the mad scientist was naturally mistaken by his goal. That December, Uri announced that he had been experimenting on the dead, Specifically, on a convicted murderer, Matthew, named Clydesdale, who had recently been executed. The scientist was naturally mistaken, though, but he persisted with his work with around five, 300 crimes in Britain carrying the death penalty at the time. Uray had no problem finding dead bodies in his research. Likewise, there was no surge of overly, overly enthusiastic audiences to watch him do the attempt. Because, you know, why be a mad scientist when you can be a mad inspiration to everyone around you? Good God. So he's trying to reanimate dead people in front of crowds and they're cheering him? We're, we're, we're doomed as a species. But there's one mad scientist who I feel needs to be mentioned here before I go. And his name is Robert Nelson, the mad scientist who helped pioneer cryonics. Nelson had no professional background or even a college degree, but nonetheless persuaded and pursued his passion among others. Cryonically, cryonically, cryogenically, cryonically, this is a different one different one to, to kind of say here, cryonically freezing human beings, cryonically, there you go, cryonically freezing human beings after their death in the hopes of reviving them in the future. Born in Boston, 1936, Nelson would later plan and execute his own cryonics program despite haying and hiling a high school dropout. Nelson practically spearheaded the whole freaking thing by freezing his first test subject in 1967. Guys, that's not even that long ago. It had been a truly baffling feat for the former television repairman who had been inspired by Dr. Robert Ettinger's 1962 book, The Prospect of Immortality. He later posted that death was merely a disease. Thus, it had to have had a cure. Nelson decided to test that theory out for himself when he became president of the Crying Society of California in 62 and then became the president of Local Life Extension Society of Los Angeles in 66. And before long, Nelson soon found his first volunteer. Dr. James Bedford was 73 years old and wanted to try extending his life via cryonics. Dying of kidney cancer, he agreed to let Nelson and his team put him on ice after he died. But the ramshackle crew was so un unprepared that they initially used ice that was collected from local freezers. Nelson then drove Bedford's dead body from his house to his home. Yikes. Before injecting him with antifreeze, yikes, and pumping oxygen into his system with a machine called an iron heart. Then he entombed him in a capsule filled with dry ice. In 1970, Nelson finally bought a vault to store Bedford and other volunteers who wanted to be crying on, cryonically frozen. <laughs> I got it this time. Underground in the Oakwood Memorial Park Cemetery in Chatsworth, outside of Los Angeles, the location became Bedford's new resting place and soon held the body of the group's first female subject. Marie Phelps Sweet and an eight-year-old girl who had died of cancer. Ultimately, a lack of resources and actual expertise side of project shuttered in 1970. Uh, 19 Seventy-nine. The vault itself was eventually covered up with turf, 
with relatives of the deceased suing Nelson and his partner for $800,000. He, he later settled out of court, I can't imagine, and put the case on ice. Ba-dum-tss. Oh, God. The Alcor facility in California currently holds 184 frozen corpses or patients, as they like to call them. So don't think that this has gone away. You can still get yourself cryonically frozen if you feel like you well, might want to die soon. Guys, I know this has been a longer one, but it's super interesting. And the fact that, you know, we all got to chill together for a little longer today with this episode just fills my heart with frozen glee. <laughs> See you tomorrow for the next episode on 2023's 31 Days of Halloween. Take care. Attention all Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio listeners. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast brings you the best in East Coast esoterica on the first of every month. Together, we can keep it growing by sharing the show on social media, subscribing to the show wherever you may be listening to it from, and by leaving feedback about your favorite episodes. John certainly needs a friend like you to help make his dreams come true. Minus the alien abduction dreams. That is not cool at all. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. Always available. Always free. Always odd.